0: Most everyone who has been a Christian very long knows Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Uh, we preached more than one time from that passage of Scripture. Many examples of that truth are found throughout the Bible narrative. Personally, I have had the most disconcerting summer that I've ever had. Um, I had planned to get lots of things done. But the fall from the roof of the campground was definitely not part of the plans. And while I have never been a roofer by trade, I have put on more roofs than I can remember. And I have never once fallen off a roof. When I told my friend, when my my friend Daryl Shore found out that I fell off the roof, he called me and wondered, what in the world happened? You're the most cautious person I've ever seen. Because there's lots of things I won't do because I don't want to get hurt. Um, I can't explain that other than, you know, tripping over a nail that I did not see, not taking the time to see it. The only, other injuries from roofing I've ever had is smashing a few nails that I shouldn't have smashed when I didn't move my finger fast enough. But um, I'm very thankful for the healing that has taken place in the broken bones in my body. Able to park that walker after the second week, um, use my cane to defend off people so they didn't squeeze my ribs uh, for a week or so. Uh, And uh, I I believe I'm healing very well. I have a follow-up appointment with the orthopedic surgeons this next Friday. I don't know what they'll do, uh, but I feel physically those bones are healing and I'm getting close to being back to normal. The fall was not a good thing in any way, shape, or form. Being laid up for numerous weeks was far from a good thing. And then COVID on top of it. I just, you know. um, But because I fell, there's the possibility I may live to be a little bit older than I would have had I not fallen. In the process of getting a CT scan of my bones on the day that I fell, to find out what the extent of my injuries were from that fall, and they looked at me and kept telling me I was an old man expecting the worst. um, They discovered that I have two aneurysms, very small aneurysms. One of them in a renal artery, 10 millimeters long, going to the kidney. I've been to the kidney doctor. Uh, He's not concerned about it this year. Another picture next year. The other one is 4.2 centimeters long in my aorta. Um, Now, the doctors aren't real concerned about it because it's not in their aorta, it's only 4.2. When it gets to 4.5, they begin monitoring it. but when my primary physician was reading to me, uh, you know, when I when my first checkup, telling me about this, and I said, okay, now, if this aneurysm ruptures in my aorta, I'm dead, right? And she kind of swallowed and kind of him hawed around about two or three minutes and different verbiage. She did not want to be, she learned diplomacy in, in, in a medical school. Um, but she finally comes around and said, well, that's true. The um, survival rate is not all that great. In fact, it's not very good at all. And so I don't know if that aneurysm will ever get any bigger, get any worse. They're going to monitor it. So i had I'm supposed to schedule an echocardiogram to make sure my valves are working but here's the deal because now I'm aware of it if there's a problem I think they'll find it I hope they'll find it before it ruptures and I'm bleeding out and not knowing what was going on um, we know that all things work together for good to them of God. I share that in the context of the ongoing series that was broken up by my fall and the vacation I planned to make up to my wife because I was gone so long. And now she's planning a vacation without me to get away from me again. <laughs> so... Um, we are in the third chapter of Genesis. Uh, and in the third chapter of Genesis, we read the, of the worst day in creation to that point in time. The very worst day. Because it was the day that the serpent deceived the woman. She partook of the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, and then handed it to her husband, And he made the decision to eat the fruit as well. Sin entered the paradise garden. Death and pain became part of this world. The serpent was cursed. Satan was cursed. Adam and Eve, there was curse put upon them in judgment. And death came to them. The body that God had created from the dust was now cursed to go back to the dust. But in the midst of all of that judgment, the terrible consequences, God in His grace promised redemption. God promised to Eve that one day, seed from you, from a woman, is going to crush the head of the serpent. Things are going to be turned around. God killed an animal. The first death in the garden, physical death. God killed an animal and made clothes of skins for man and woman. And in the process, declaring to them and to us for all time, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. What he did in making clothes for them was a picture of the Savior that he promised to the woman. Last time we were together, and I shared with you three weeks ago, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, we looked at the judgment pronounced upon Adam because he obeyed his wife instead of obeying God and ate the fruit. We went on our thinking to talk about these kinds of things. We went on to see how Jesus redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. Jesus redeemed us from the curse was put upon man and woman by becoming a curse for us. That means, number one, all of our sins can be forgiven. All of our sins can be forgiven. I don't know about you, but that amazes me. And I'm so thankful for it because now my sins no longer have control over me. My past no longer dictates my future. The writer of Hebrews tells us when Jesus died on the cross, He shed shed His blood and took that blood into the holies of holies of heaven and offered the last sacrifice ever needed in order for God to be able to forgive sins. When we put our faith in Jesus and the finished work of the cross, His blood cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. And then secondly, we ended the message by talking about the fact Jesus has redeemed all my pain. Jesus has redeemed all my pain. I said that means two things to me. Letter A, it means this. Jesus will cause everything to work out for my good. The good, the bad, the ugly. God has the ability to put it all together for my good. The ultimate good is that I become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's Romans 8.29. The second thing, my pain and sorrow have divine purpose. My pain and sorrow has divine purpose whatever you and I are experiencing now, whatever we've experienced in our past, God has the power to take those hurts and use them for His kingdom glory. We don't live here for our personal comfort or even our personal happiness. And I'm not saying God doesn't want you to experience comfort and happiness. But what God wants us to experience is how He told us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about the kingdom of God and God's glory. This morning I want to return to the last three verses of uh, Genesis chapter 3. The first couple have eaten the forbidden fruit. Their eyes were open to the fact they're naked. They tried to cover themselves. When they heard God coming, they tried to hide. But God knew where they were. You can run, but you can't hide. Their sin was revealed. Judgment was handed down. This morning we come to the final phases of the consequences that God handed down to the woman and the man. Reading in verse 22. to the tree of life. In verse 22, we see what we talked about several weeks ago in chapter 1, verse 26. God having a dialogue with Himself. Man has become like one of us. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, there is this evidence of what we call the Holy Trinity. Though the Scripture never uses that word, all through the Scripture we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is having a conversation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The man, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. What Satan had promised... Remember what Satan said? Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. What Satan had promised the woman became partially true. Partially true. You see, that's the thing about really good liars. There's a partial truth in it somewhere. And it had a partial truth. If you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. It was partially true. They had become like God in the fact that they now knew good from evil. They had become like God in the fact that now they had become, or now they knew good from evil. Is that note up there? Yes, it is. Before the act of disobedience, they lived in a state of innocence, of total openness and vulnerability between themselves and between God. But now their eyes were open to a whole other side of things. Now they knew good and evil. Their likeness to God did not lead. To glory. But rather to shame and disgrace. If you eat of this fruit, you eat like God. Well, they were to the point that they now know good and evil. But now instead of feeling powerful, now they felt shame and disgrace. What was the first thing that the Scripture said happened after they ate the fruit? They saw that they were naked. And they tried to cover themselves. And when God came, they hid. Shame and disgrace. Adam and Eve thought moral autonomy would make them like God. Moral autonomy, what's that, Pastor? That is I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm the captain of my own ship. I determine my own destiny. I don't have to answer to anyone. That was what was projected to them. You'll be as God. You won't need God. You'll be independent. That is the ongoing temptation of every human being who's ever been born remember several weeks ago when we talked about this, I quoted some words that Paul Anka wrote for Frank Sinatra to sing. And it was a song that became very popular, uh, set a record in Britain for a number of weeks as being number one on the charts. And way down in the song, he said, I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and I spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and did it. The eighth and final stanzas. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he is not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. God, in his love, grace, he created us with a free will to make a lot of choices, to make a lot of choices. And I could take you to numerous scriptures that where God commands us to make a choice. Choose this day. Choose this day. There's choices. But never forget this. God always has the last word. God always has the last word. He is sovereign over everything and everyone. Henry Blocker writes in regards to man thinking he's he's totally in charge of his own life. He writes these words, The crazy little God with his absurd absurd pretensions is not God and never shall be. All he can do is die. And that's what happened to the first man and woman. Death. Death. Ephesians tells us before you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Oh, we were born physically alive. And the moment you were born physically alive, that body began to die. But spiritually, we were born dead and need to be born again. <coughs> <clears throat> Back to verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now let us he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and live forever. Did you notice he stops mid-sentence. God doesn't finish that sentence. There's that line in my Bible. And live forever. In fact, that's probably not even a complete sentence. It's a long time since I took English and had to diagram sentences. Didn't you hate that? the consequences for the human beings eating of the tree of life in their present and the present spiritual condition was something beyond what god wanted moses to write the inference would seem to be that if they ate of the tree of life in their present unredeemed bodies their death sentence would have been final forever It was a condition God did not want them to experience. So, from verse 22 and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Did you notice the transition 22 to 23? God was speaking, and now Moses is speaking. Therefore, God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which it was taken. Verse 24, He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God exiled Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. They were expelled they were cast out notice the verb in verse 24 he drove out the man they had made a choice to act independently of God's commands and that sin got them expelled from the garden where they had been in complete dominion over everything in that garden I don't know if you see the irony of it. I hope you do. To be in charge of their own life, they lost all the authority that they had while they were in partnership with God. In the garden, they enjoyed everything they needed, and it all came without any pain, without any sorrow. Now they're going to have to work the ground with pain. They're going to bring forth children with pain, with sorrow. But perhaps the worst thing was they were expelled from the presence of God. They had walked with God. They had communed with God. They had talked with God face to face. And now... They have been driven from the garden. A sentry is posted, cherubim, and a flaming sword turning in every which direction. They were banned from the garden for the rest of their lives. The man created to rule that garden was now locked out of that garden. And what you see the flaming sword represents God's justice and his holiness. God's justice and His holiness. It's not the only place in the Scripture we see the flaming sword referred to. You, I put a couple of... Uh, there's, there's more than these, but Jeremiah 47.6 and the whole chapter of Ezekiel 21 is about the flaming sword of God's justice and holiness. The flaming sword and, and the cherubim was all about keeping them from eating of the tree of life in their present condition. On one hand, the exile was a terrible thing. But on the other hand, the exile was also an act of God's grace. God said we can't have them eating in that tree of life in their present physical and moral and spiritual condition. Therefore, we're going to cast them out. We're going to place a guard. God was protecting them from eternal death. God was protecting them from eternal death. Their body was going to die. Every human being is born with a void in their heart that can only be filled by the presence of God. Most people living around us, do not realize that. That that's what they're looking for. But there are millions of people in this just this state, today out looking for something. They're involved in some activity, in some pursuit, trying to fill a longing deep in their heart. And it might work for today. But next weekend they'll need to do it again. And on and on it goes. Adam and Eve had lived in the presence of God. They had breathed air in the presence of God. But now they're on the outside. There would have been a never-ending longing to experience that again. But they're outside. I don't know how they lived. The Bible doesn't tell us how they lived out their mortal lives. The Bible does tell us that Adam was 930 years old when the body finally expired. But you know what? I think there's a possibility... As they put their faith in the promise that one day there'll be the seed of woman to crush, as long as they offered that sacrifice for their sins, that one day we will walk with them and talk with them in the presence of the Lord. Not only that, Revelation 22.14 says, Blessed are those who wash the robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Because God kicked them out, sent a Savior to turn everything around. You and I, and possibly Adam and Eve, will be able to partake of the tree of life that's in the presence of God today. And there we'll live forever. That went over really well. Anybody planning on going to heaven? I got four. Good, we can give an altar call this morning. Both, you know, old testament believers who walked in faith in obedience to God's command for the sacrifices and faith. They were putting their faith in Jesus Christ, looking forward just like you and I are looking backward. And they'll be there. As I read verse twenty four of Genesis three. Now my, now my, I'm inspired to look at a whole bunch of scriptures. It says, He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Fast forward to the day that Moses was riding. The book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. God had brought them out of Egypt. They were at Mount Sinai preparing to go to the Promised Land. God talking to them said, Moses, in Moses, or Exodus 25.8, He said to Moses, "...and let them make me a sanctuary." that I may dwell in their midst. Let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst. I underline those words. I encourage you to underline those words in your notes, that I may dwell in their midst. Or if you have your Bible open, that I may dwell in their midst. Because the next note is this, God wants to dwell with his people. God wants to dwell with His people. In the garden, God dwelled with Adam and Eve. When He brought the Israelites out of Egypt, He made it crystal clear. Well, we may not be able to go back to the Garden of Eden thing. I have a way. I have a plan. I want to dwell in your midst. So, Moses, I want you to tell craftsmen, we're going to build this Area, and we're going to build a tent or a tabernacle for me to dwell in. And the first piece of furniture that God told Moses to build, to put inside the tent when it was completed, was the Ark of the Covenant. A box about three feet long, two feet wide, and two feet high, overlaid with gold. We know from reading the rest of Scripture that at one time it contained the Ten Commandments in the, the tablets, that it contained a bowl of manna, and that it contained the rod, Aaron's rod, that had budded when there were some other people who thought they should be the high priest, and God made a stick come alive again. I want you to see these verses in Exodus 25, verse 17. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall it be its length and a cubic and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. And one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. The tent, the sanctuary, contained two distinct chambers or rooms. There was a holy place where you would come in. And by the way, you had to come in from the east. I'm just, if you remember Genesis twenty three, twenty-four. 24, they were pushed out to the eastern part of the garden. Cherubim were put in place. The holy place, you'd come in, there was a table of showbread, the golden candlestick, the altar of incense. Then there was the Holy of Holies, veiled off by a special veil, a special curtain. And inside the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was. Look at verse 31 of Exodus 26. Talking about the veil in the front of the Holy of Holies. You shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns of fine twine linen. It shall be made with cherubim, skillfully worked into it. When the high priest approached the veil to go into the presence of God, on the curtain was the image of a cherubim. When he entered the Holy of Holies, there on the mercy seat from either end, wings stretched towards the center, were two cherubim. All through Israel's history, from the time of Moses to the time of Jesus, the cherubim and the presence of God were associated together. For example, Psalms 91, 99 one: The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim let the earthquake let the earthquake isaiah 37:16 o lord of hosts god of israel enthroned above the cherubim you are the god you alone of all the kings of the earth you have made heaven and earth there are numerous scriptures where he is referred to as the one who's enthroned above the cherubim when adam and eve left the garden of eden They were clothed in garments that covered their bodies, skins. Because an animal shed its blood on their behalf. In order for the high priest or any priest to enter the holy place and the presence of God, first there had to be the shedding of blood. First there had to be the shedding of blood. There was a sacrifice that was offered The priest would have to wash himself in water. His garments had to be pure, clean. If you read, they would even put blood on his thumb, his toe, or on his ear, on his thumb, and on his toe as he went into the holy place. They would sprinkle the blood on, on the mercy seat where God's presence dwells. Now, they could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. In the tent and the temple, access to God's presence came only by the shedding of blood and the mediation of the priest. Access to God's presence came only by the shedding of blood and the mediation of the priest. The only one who went in to the Holy of Holies once a year was the high priest. God's presence dwelt in that tent. They put the tent in the middle of, the, of the, um, tri- or the 12 tribes, in the middle of the camp. But only one could go into the very presence. And that was with fear and trepidation. You can read of a couple of different instances where people tried to go into the holy place and offer incense even in front of the curtain, and they did it with the wrong attitude. And fire came out of that altar and consumed them inside that place. When the people were walking in obedience, when they were in tune with the voice of God. Well, look what happened when Moses had completed the temple or the sanctuary, the tabernacle, the tent. Exodus 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In Second Chronicles chapter 5, you read the dedication of the temple that Solomon built to replace the tabernacle, the tent. And in verse 7 and 8 of the of the 5th chapter of 2 Chronicles, you read that the Levites brought the Ark of the Covenant, carried it on the poles like they were supposed to. They put it in the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. When Solomon built the temple, he built some cherubim that were ten cubits high and their wings reached from wall to wall inside the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. They placed the ark between the cherubim, underneath the cherubim. And then the choir of priests and 120 priest trumpeters began to play and to sing. Second Chronicles 5.13 For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister before the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house. The glory of the Lord filled the house. God wants to dwell with His people. Number two, everything about the tabernacle, the temple system pointed to Jesus. Everything about the tabernacle, the sacrifices, it all pointed to Jesus. John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to read that from the Amplified Bible. I put it in your notes. The Amplified Bible just gives you all kinds of different options for um, interpreting or translating a Word. And the Word which is Christ, became flesh, human, incarnate, and tabernacled. I love that. Tabernacled, fixed his tent of flesh, lived a while among us. And we actually saw his glory, his honor, his majesty, such glory as an only begotten son receives from his father, full of grace, favor, loving kindness, and truth. In John chapter 2 we read the story of Jesus cleansing the temple in Jerusalem. You know, driving out the money changers and those people who were selling trinkets and sacrifices. And the religious authorities of the day came to him and said, "By what authority do you do these things?" In other words, just who do you think you are? And in John 2:19 he said, "Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus saw his body as the temple and his resurrection as the proof of his authority. And just in case you need proof that Jesus is the temple, Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. What city? The new city, New Jerusalem. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The temple is the Lord God, God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. During His last week of ministry before the cross, Jesus spent time every day in the temple courts in Jerusalem. On Friday of that week, the religious leaders, the ones who had been entrusted with the keeping of the temple that had been built on that temple mount, They made sure that Jesus was put to death. And they did it in the name of preserving their temple and their liturgy and their traditions. But here's the issue. For 400 years, there had not been a word come from that temple, from God. For 400 years, there had not been a prophet speaking about the presence of God. Then God sent John the Baptist. Herod executed him. God sent his son. And the people he sent him to crucified him. God tabernacled amongst them. And they did not see it. Remember on the way to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, Jesus wept and made the declaration, Oh Jerusalem, you have not seen, you did not understand the day of visitation and how bad it's going to be for you. Their temple their traditions, their liturgy became more important than the presence of God. (coughs) Application point for us 2023, beware of making anything more important than God's presence. Beware of making anything more important than God's presence. For the Jews, it was tradition. It was liturgy. The way they worshipped or pretended to worship. All things that were spawned in the context of true worship and the presence of God, but they got so hung up with the stuff that they forgot God we too can become so enamored with our liturgies, our traditions, doing it the way we've always done it, that we forget the presence of God. God wants to dwell with His people. Back to Jesus. On what was called Black Friday, Jesus became a curse for us as He was crucified on the cross. It was an ugly story. It was a gruesome story. And it was a glorious story. Let me repeat that. It was an ugly story. It was a gruesome story. And it's a glorious story. Matthew 27, verse 50. And Jesus cried out again, with a loud voice. And we know from another scripture, he cried out, It is finished. Many then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. On that day, Jesus invites us into the place between the cherubim. Jesus invites us into the place between the cherubim where He's enthroned. By His death and His resurrection, Jesus removed the barriers that kept us from dwelling in His presence. He became the sacrifice. He became the priest. He's the temple. He's everything we need to be able to sing the old hymn out of reality. And He walks with me. And He talks with me. And He tells me I'm His own. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy place, not by the means of blood, of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Back in chapter 6 of Hebrews, verse 19, we have this as a sure, and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Back in chapter 4, verse 16 of Hebrews, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of sin, Adam and Eve were driven from the garden. God must judge sin. I know that's not a popular, but it's truth. God must judge sin. Sin does separates us from God. But because we could not atone for our own sin, it was impossible, God has provided the atonement so that He can draw us unto Himself. God provided the atonement, the price for our sin, so that He would not have to drive us away, but instead He could draw us unto Himself. Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden and the tree of life so they would not have to experience eternal death in their unredeemed state. So God put in motion a plan, a perfect plan of salvation so that the end of the story for those who experience Jesus Christ, but what's the end going to look like? I'm glad you asked. Revelation 21 verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. I said, God wants to dwell with his people. Verse 22 of chapter 21 says this, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Going to chapter 22, verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were the heat for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus is coming back again. Oh, I forgot, He rose from the grave. And He's coming back again. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. Partake of the tree of life and never ever die. But not everyone goes to heaven. Not everyone, goes, everyone wants to go to heaven or most people want to go to heaven Jesus said to the disciples in John 14:6 on the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. I know I emphasize it almost every time I read this Scripture, but it doesn't say if you believe in your head it says if you believe in that place where you make the decisions, where you use that free will that God gave to you, lots of things you didn't get to choose in life, but you get to choose heaven or hell. When I believe with my whole heart, that means I believe to the point that I follow Jesus. I walk in obedience with Jesus. I live to please Jesus, to please the Father. Are you going to heaven? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? It begins with a prayer. But that prayer has to be a commitment that I will follow you. You will be the Lord of my life. It's not like taking out a life insurance policy or fire insurance policy and hoping you never have to use it. It's a total commitment of who I am to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The last point this morning is we are invited to dwell in His presence. We are invited now. It's going to be wonderful when we get there. I mean, God will dwell among us and we will see Him as He is and we will be like He is. But He invites us to dwell in His presence here and now. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 tells us, what, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? John chapter 14 Jesus tells us because He's risen from the dead, the Holy Spirit now lives in us. And He said, if you obey my commandments, the Father and I, we will come and manifest ourselves. We'll come and dwell with you. (coughs) In Moses' day, God's glory filled the tabernacle. In Solomon's day, God's glory filled the temple. On the day of Pentecost, God's glory filled the believers. wasn't in my notes, but it comes to my mind at this moment from Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst of them. There's a manifestation of God's presence when we, as individual members of the body of Christ, gather together in the name of Christ. We are invited to dwell in His presence. And I want you to know there is no better place to be. There is no better place to be than in the presence of God. The presence of Jesus. Psalm sixteen, eleven. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. My prayer is Lord, give us a hunger for your presence.